All right. Good morning. I just changed hats from a guitar player to a preacher. You guys didn't even see me do it, did you? Ephesians. Go ahead and open up your Bibles there. And uh, if you have a bulletin this morning, you should have um, a handout there that will prove helpful to you. We're talking this morning about breakthroughs. And uh, there's all kinds of breakthroughs that you hear about in the news and in magazines and in stories and just kind of through uh, daily life. I kind of jotted down a couple here um, that come to mind. You hear about a medical breakthrough sometimes. Uh, Sometimes there are scientific breakthroughs or technological breakthroughs, uh, certainly promoting new products uh, at a consumer electronics uh, type fair, for instance, you would say, we have a breakthrough technology. Um, artists, stars, and athletes sometimes have breakthrough performances or breakthrough albums. And we love this storyline, and people know that this sells, because this is, just watch for it, this is in culture, you see this. And we love this storyline, because we all want a breakthrough as well. We're living in a, in a certain way, and we'd love to have that breakthrough happen. And maybe it's this product, maybe it's this pill that's being sold that has 30 seconds of side effects that may do it and call your doctor immediately if any of these happen to you. And it always scares me from ever taking that medicine. But, um, but maybe this product or this, this item, maybe one of these breakthroughs is going to be just the thing that I need. I think the thing that we, uh, that we hear a lot about, too, is, is a personal breakthrough. Now, whether it's a motivational speech from Tony Robbins or, uh, or Oprah on the O Channel giving you some tips or just reading about you know, different magazine things uh, that will give you some kind of breakthrough, certainly this time of year is a great time to be selling that idea. The question I have is this. Is it really a breakthrough or is it more of the same? Let's just take a few of these. Medical. It may help patients, but there's still sickness and death, right? So... While it's a breakthrough on one level, we're still in the same exact spot. How about sports? Although it may have been a breakout performance, you're still subject to basic limitations of gravity and fatigue and injury. Okay, So the first time that you jump a motorcycle uh, completely around once and then do it twice, someday someone's going to do it three times, uh, there's, there's, there's breakthroughs on the one hand, but we're still, we're still limited. And how about personal breakthrough? Oftentimes what felt like a personal breakthrough last year is just this repeating pattern this year. And you start to see it when your friends point it out or your family points it out. Or you find yourself back in the same exact spot that you were a year ago. Buying into this breakthrough that you were sold. What Paul unveils here, and really what we're going to do this morning is in essence finish up a little bit of where we went last week. But in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, uh, he is talking about what he terms as a mystery. And he unveils the mystery for us. And what he's talking about truly is a breakthrough. Now, before we get to our text this morning, which is Ephesians uh, 3, 6, what I want to do is I want to take you back just to the beginning of the series for a second and remind you of this title, One. We called the book of Ephesians, we're studying through the book of Ephesians, we called it one, uh, because this is really the crux of the whole epistle, is that God is rejoining that which sin breaks. Sin separates, sin divides, and sin breaks. And God is rejoining and bringing back together those things. Relationships, dreams, people groups, bodies, the created world, and really the whole universe. 
This was kind of a book-encompassing statement that I threw out to you in week one of this study. There is one plan ruled by one God, the one true church, and each one individual Christian has a lofty position by grace and must live accordingly. So this is, in a big nutshell, what Ephesians is about. And you'll see why this is such an important passage to this. Uh, Each chapter in the book of Ephesians, Paul takes and reveals to us another angle of the church, or maybe another layer of the church. And I kind of walk uh, through through these with you as well. And chapter 3 is the church as a mystery. The church as a mystery. And we're going to hear this word mystery coming up time again. This mystery, uh, as you remember uh, once again from last week, is not that it's mysterious and unknown, we can't know it, but it's this secret plan of God that God is revealing to His people. Let me read for you, um, starting in chapter 3, the first six verses, and you can follow along with me in your Bible as I read. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Unless we're confused on what the mystery is, he's now going to lay it out really clearly in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Pray with me. Lord, as we have your word open right now, many of us on our laps, would you open it to us in our hearts? Would you open it to us in our wills, in our minds? As well, Father, I pray that you would give us clarity to understand what you want to communicate to us this morning. And we thank you, God, that you want to reveal this and that we're hungry, Lord. You've placed a hunger in our hearts to discern what it is you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I have one fill-in for you this morning. Again, I'm easing into 2011. I know you've got lots of other commitments. We're going to take it slow. Here it is. Ready? Get your pens ready. Here's, and there's not even a slide for it. I'm making it a little bit tricky for you. Uh, the mystery is this. The Gentiles are in. That's it. The Gentiles are in. I mean, that's what, that's what Ephesians 3.6 is telling us. Now, again, to us, we kind of hear this with, with roughly 2,000 years of experience saying, yeah, we know this. But this was revolutionary, groundbreaking, breakthrough kind of truth. It's definite, it's defined, and it's objective. Gentiles are part of the church. Ephesians 3, 6, in essence, summarizes the second half of chapter 2. I would encourage you to go read the second half of chapter 2 this afternoon. It'd be a great passage to meditate on in light of all that I'm going to say this morning in Ephesians 3, 6. It's basically taking this This picture of how there was separation. There are those who were far and there were those who were near. Gentiles and Jews. And guess what? Both needed peace with God. The Jews first and then the Gentiles. 
and, and, and that God was the peace. God was this peace that is the answer to this mystery of, of division that we have. There's no guesswork involved because it's revealed. Let me put up one slide from last week that will remind you of this. Those who were here immediately recognize that and say, yes, that's right, revelation. It's been told to me. I don't have to guess at this. Remember that as, as God is revealing the next phase of the plan with the Messiah, he wanted to be crystal clear. Told John the Baptist, it's the one that you see us, a, a dove descending, or the spirit descending like a dove. That's the one who's the Messiah. I want to be crystal clear about this. John the Baptist comes, he says, I'm crystal clear. This is the Messiah. Now for a whole new phase of this plan, Christ has now completed and accomplished his work here on earth. He's risen from the grave. He's ascended back to the Father. He's sitting on his throne. And this next phase of this mystery, the next phase of this one plan ruled by one God is in effect. And that is this. The Gentiles are in. The gen- There's not a separate saving plan for those outside of the chosen people of God. And again, this is radical news. And so God made it crystal clear to his church by revelation and used really the dominant human person outside of Christ in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. And he takes the dominant figure and he he ropes this message in. And that's what Paul is all about. Now, this this breakthrough, this is so breakthrough and so radical um, that, that God saves Gentiles. Uh, in, in Acts 10, God's, God, Gentiles are being saved and they're receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, you've got to love this because a few chapters later, Acts 15, the church decides to meet and see if God is allowed to do this. I mean, the, the, the church gets a council together and says, we're not really sure that God's allowed to save Gentiles. This is not how it's supposed to go down. And, and they're saying, no, this happened. God has already done this. And sometimes that's the way we function in the church. Uh, God moves and does things that breaks our paradigm completely. And we say, wait a minute, time out. We need some meetings. We, we need some councils together. We, we need to form some groups and study up on this. Well, God's already ahead of them. It's also so radical that Paul actually invents new words because he runs out of language. You ever, you ever try to communicate something and you, and you run out of words? Some of you in this room are trilingual. And some of you say, yeah, in the English, this doesn't translate very well. But man, over here in the French, this just explodes. And let me tell you about it. And, and I'm just going, man, what are you talking about? Paul, Paul runs out of language here. And so he actually starts to take words and he puts them together. Now, let me, uh, let me show you what he does here, because this is actually foundational to understanding uh, verse 6 here in chapter 3. Um, aside from a, a, a boy band using tons of hair product, what does the term in sync mean to you? Okay, so scratch that. Get those guys off your mind. Um, what does it mean to be in sync? In harmony. Okay, what else? On the same page. Yeah, okay. So we, we, get, we get our word synchronized from this, this, this prefix S-Y-N, sync. Okay, sync, in sync. Now let me tell you what, what he does. If I were to put this word up on the screen, you would probably recognize, because of the culture we live in, that it's, that it's the word sync and the word fantastic just kind of mashed up together. Okay? So I just created this word. I don't think it's in the dictionary. Syntastic. Okay? So if I say syntastic, it's that they're so in sync, they're so on the same page, there's so much harmony that it's utterly fantastic. This is a little bit of what Paul does. Okay? Each of these three categories that, 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 that he describes Gentiles has this prefix of sin in here. Now, uh, S-Y-N, not S-I-N. We're in church, so people go, which sin is it? 
Um, let, me, let me kind of show you how this would be. So the iPhone would be Jews, God's chosen people. The chosen ones, okay? Those who are near. Um, and then you would move over to Gentiles, which would be this Blackberry and the tiny keyboard. Um, and, and you would see this, and this word would say, okay, I get that. They all talk now. They're all together. They're all happy in harmony. And we just go, how could that ever be? Ten years ago, you would never imagine this to be true. And yet we're moving towards this in technology, which is kind of fascinating being in the Silicon Valley. All right, now you can get iPhones, Blackberries, and boy bands out of your mind because we're not going to stay there. Um, these three compound words uh, in the Greek that, that Paul goes to are, are these. And your translations will kind of read a little bit different. But there's co-heirs sharing equally in the, in the inheritance. Secondly, co-members of the same body. And thirdly, co-partners or partakers together. Now, what I want to do is I want to take these three, and I think it was providential that we didn't get to cram this into last week and expound on it a little bit this week in a shortened communion kind of a morning because of all that's going on um, and, and all of that. But these three really answer um, the, the three big mysteries, three of the greatest struggles, three of the greatest mysteries that are presented uh, in front of mankind. The first one is... This term co-heirs, and remember he has this word sin in front of it and says co-heirs, joint heirs, uh, and this really is talking about possessions. Some of you have been involved before perhaps in an estate battle, and estate battles can be just that, battles. When you're parceling out someone who has died and left things in a will to someone, and all of a sudden people are fighting over what? Stuff. Fighting over possessions. And this idea of inheritance and fighting over stuff can hit really close to home for some of you. Now, uh, we have our middle schoolers off at a weekend retreat uh, this weekend. And our house, for one, talk about a breakthrough. Um, it is far less rambunctious and far more silent with our two oldest, and they happen to be boys, um, out of the home. Now, with that being said, we had a movie night on Friday night. Guess what kind of movie happens when it's dad, his three girls, and his wife, okay? The only other two males are my dog and cat, and they don't really count for much. So it's movie night. And so, um, and so instead, of, uh, instead of lots of explosions, car chases, and guns involved, um, we watched what was actually a fantastic movie called Babies. And it just kind of chronicles, it just kind of chronicles these, I think, five kids from around the world. And this, this is the opening scene in Babies. I want you to watch this and think about um, the universality of uh, struggling over possessions.
<clears throat> Parents, let this encourage you. <laughs> this is not a Silicon Valley problem that your siblings fight. When did the older one want that old water bottle? The second junior reached for it, right? And then it's, no, I want that. And then it's bite, and it's just back and forth. Now, I show you that clip. By the way, I'm watching this video, and that's what a lot of the movie is. It's actually really cute. But I'm watching this video, and I'm going, that's Ephesians 3, 6. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud because that annoys my family sometimes. But I was thinking it. Um, now, I know what you're thinking. Some in this room will say, well, well that's just human nature. And you're right. That, that's, a, that's a way of phrasing that. That's just human nature. That's in Namibia. I can hardly say the country, and it's just universal. That's, that's, that's everywhere. Another way of saying it is that not, not that it's just human nature that we act that way, but that saying it's just human nature is actually just putting a label on what the Bible would say is a universal curse. This universal curse is sin that came into the world. It's the sin nature. Now, we look at something like that and say, that's just human nature. It's just a, it's a cultural label on another reality uh, that, that the Bible clearly talks about. The Bible talks about the cursing of the ground that goes on. Romans 8 actually harkens back to this, that creation itself is actually longing for this restoration, this oneness, this wholeness that, that, that God is going to bring back to things. We, we put terms like the second law of thermodynamics onto it where we say it's the law of entropy, where things are winding down, where in a closed system there is more and more chaos and less and less order. Do we see this in our news? Do we see this in our society? Yeah, we, we, we do. The result is fighting over limited resources. Now, there's, there's often two groups in this. There are those who are in power who are trying to... to uh, position themselves in a way that says that they're being just in, dis- in dis- distributing these things to other people. In the global economy, we all sit at the top. Do we recognize this? If you live in America, even if you're homeless in America, you sit in the upper echelon of the global family in this. Now, those with power, those making decisions, those uh, receiving letters for Bibles, for instance, help us. They're, they're in one position. Those without the power, those who, who aren't making decisions, those, those who are, uh, in, in, in a sense of, of, of uh, um, uh, economically, they're, they're, they're impoverished. They would look and they would say, things are, are unequitable here. I am not receiving my fair share due. You're, you're driving something and you're living in a place and, and it's, it's not equitable. This happens in families. Blow it up. It happens in neighborhoods within states and infighting over who's getting whose water, the north or the south. We need more water. You need more. Does this sound familiar? It happens within nations and and regions, and and then obviously it happens globally. The idea that God has come, that one has come, we just sang about this, that the song of hope that we sing is because Christ came. That there is one who has gone before us because of the time that we live in. There is one who's gone before us, namely Christ, who has secured your inheritance. And it, it reminds me of the prodigal son's father. When the prodigal son goes off and away, and when he comes back, a giant feast is thrown, and a ring is put on his finger, and a cloak's put around him, and a party is thrown. And what's the older brother's response? It's that response, right? 
in a nutshell, it's, I'm just going to clobber this kid. How come he gets it? That's unfair. What does the father say to the son who's bitter? All that I have is yours. You didn't have to go off and come to your senses in pig slop. All that I have is yours. And as we think about our inheritance, as we think about, as most of us in this room are Gentiles who have been roped in to be joint heirs in the inheritance, and the will is opened, and and we get equal footing. We have the same spiritual gene as those who were of the tribe of Benjamin or something. And to say that we're in, it's marvelous. Here's my challenge to you, is to rest in this truth. Some of you right now are struggling and wrestling with wanting more. Struggling with what you have. Struggling with the place that God seems to have you in. And if you look at it from a spiritual place, I want to bring you back to chapter 1. Praise God for every spiritual blessing that He's already blessed you with. And say, God, in, in my personal recession right now, whether that's health or relational or financial, or, or fi- financial, financial, I'm making up all kinds of words now. See, you, you give a little. No matter what kind of recession is going on, Lord, would you just help me to see what you're doing in the midst of this? Would you help me to rest in the riches that I have? And not fight over these possessions. The second thing he says here is that we're co-members. And that we, uh, we belong to the same body. This, this answers the, the universal struggle for people to belong. Something that's just true of humans. You could once again say this is just human nature. But that is that we long to belong. You and I long to belong. Even those who think they're super individualistic and all that, you still want to fit in with other super individualistic people, and you're like a band of individualistic raiders, but you belong to that band. Some of you don't belong very well in real relationships, in, in physical world relationships. That trips you up. But you've got a whole online community. That's a recent phenomenon. In the last decade, we've been able to create whole belonging kinds of a sense online. You know what that is? It's people reaching out. Go to Starbucks this afternoon. What you will see is people who like to to be with other people. We long to belong. Phrases that are used to talk about this are hooking up, getting together, getting hitched, shacking up. I mean, those are some kind of crass ways of saying it. Uh, A polite, nice way is to say getting married. Uh, But all of this is an effort to get together, to belong, to be with someone. So much of music and art and And movies is about this process of getting together and tearing apart and how it hurts and getting back together. Look for it. It's just there. I want to point out to you, we won't turn there, but in Genesis chapter 3, I want you to think on this statement. Strife entered the world when sin entered the world. Division entered the world when sin entered the world. Let me read it for you. Genesis 3, roughly verses 11 to 12. God says to Adam, have you eaten of the fruit is the first sin the Bible tells us about. Have you eaten of the fruit? Adam says, the woman you put here. Who's he blaming there? God. I mean, don't ever try to throw God under the bus. That's a bad plan. I don't really, I mean, we do that, you know. We do the same thing, but throwing God under the bus is not a good thing. But he blames God, and what does that create? That creates division right there. 
right in the same breath of, of, of the sin happening comes along this division. Now there's division between Adam and God. The woman you put here, here it is, she gave me some fruit. Who's he blaming here? Eve, right? Common scenario, husband and wife throwing each other under the bus. Right away, there's division with God. Now there's division with others. Separation and strife start with rebellion to God and then move to others, often starting with those closest to you. Why? Because there's most opportunity with someone that you're sleeping next to all the time or a sibling that you live with all the time. So sin and separation really go hand in hand. Catch this. All other strife, division, battles, and even war stem from this one reality, that sin brings death. Sin brings with it death, not the least of which is death to relationships. So when you are struggling with your spouse, when you are battling your teenager, when you are at odds with your boss, when you read about countries building up their nuclear program for war, let your mind think biblically on this and come back to this is a result of the fall. First and foremost, this is sin bringing death to relationships. First with God and then with other people. Now, let me give you two kinds of breakthrough, and I'm going to use breakthrough in quotations here. The first is a breakthrough in dating tips. Okay, I read this on Monday morning. I was, on, um, I was online reading uh, some news articles, and I saw this, and it caught my eye, and so I brought it up. This is George Clooney's dating tips. The top five dating tips. Now, one might wonder with someone who uh, is not married and hasn't had a sustained relationship, I don't think. I don't follow George Clooney's dating relationship. Um, But he's not one who's been married for 35 years, where you might want some of his tips. Um, But he has been voted sexiest man alive several times. And so that draws us in to say, well, well, if he makes the cover of that magazine, maybe that's what I need. Do you see this breakthrough mentality? It's it's all around us. Now, I won't bore you with the five, but, but the top two... I mean, this absolutely fascinated me. Here's number two, okay? We're working our way up from the bottom. Number two is have integrity. Now, I love that it's in there. Interesting that it's number two. Have integrity. Over the years, Clooney has become a well-known activist. He speaks out on on a number of political and social causes. Um, It's another dimension to the man, and it's not unrelated to his sex appeal. So there you go. Get a cause, evidently. Evidently. Uh, it goes on to talk about the fact that, that this is something that, that women actually look for. I mean, this is including men into. This might be kind of important. You know, and guys are like, that's good. I ought to get a cause, you know. Uh, here's, here's number one. Okay, if number two was have integrity, here's number one. Charm, charm, charm. That's what the bold letters say. Now, here's what it says under that. The true secret, okay, integrity and whatever the other ones were, I, don't, I didn't memorize them or think about them, but the true secret to Clooney's sex appeal is undoubtedly his charm. You can acquire it simply by habituating yourself to good behavior. Got that, guys? Start habituating. Uh, start opening doors for women. Say please and thank you. Before long, charm will be second nature. Okay? This is the kind of breakthrough advice we're giving to people. This is being passed around you know, and being purveyed as, as good information. Here's the problem. Is that when, when Gal starts dating this guy, and by week number two, 
Um, this woman who was so attracted to this all-important charm, charm, charm feature realizes that the guy was just habituating. And he got tired of habituating and stopped opening the doors. And he realized he's kind of adult like all the other guys he's been dating. And it's not really a breakthrough at all. Uh, Proverbs might ring true in this. Proverbs 31. Charm is deceptive. And beauty is fleeting. So, at the very least, put integrity above charm. Not saying charm is a bad thing necessarily. Uh, so that's one kind of breakthrough. Let me, let me um, kind of put that up against a second kind of breakthrough. A second kind of breakthrough is the kind of breakthrough that we're talking about here where, where, um, where people from two vastly different kinds of scenarios, a Gentile and a Jew in this case, are being grafted into the same body. They're being made one, not by something that they do, not by habituating, uh, nothing like that, but because Christ has secured our place in God's holy family. Let me, let me say it this way. Um, any hope for breakthrough that rests in, in what the flesh can accomplish is fleeting hope. It's like the wind. It may seem like it's here for a season, but it's gone. Charm is deceptive. Anything you can accomplish by the flesh that that will kind of allow this to happen won't be the kind of in-depth level of belonging that that God wants to to do in in his followers. Some of you can attest to this by uh, by similar kinds of stories for me. I remember getting some some friends at the age of 17 when I really committed my life to Christ and really laid my life down and said, God, I'm yours. All of me is yours. And in a very short period of time, I marveled at how, um, how close I felt to a couple of brothers of mine in a, in a small group. And how these relationships began to grow. And I thought, man, I've, I've been hanging around some other guys my whole life, literally since I was a tiny little kid. And yet I have a strong sense that when I walk away from this group of guys, and if I turn back and I were to see them laughing and talking together, I don't have a deep sense that they're laughing and talking about me. Because there's this bond in Christ that we have. It doesn't mean I picked the perfect friends. But there was, this, there was this deeper, common bond there. Some of you have tasted of relationships where Christ is at the center of it. And you think, wow, this is on a whole different level than anything that I have experienced before. How does God secure our place in God's holy family? It's by becoming our sin. And in its place, giving us His righteousness. And that's where it's found. This is absolutely fascinating to me that we're doing this on Martin Luther King weekend. Tomorrow we're going to celebrate this holiday. We've been talking about it this weekend. It's been in the news. Martin Luther King's message was, was, was one that got him killed, wasn't it? It was one of taking division and, and bringing it together. And it got him killed. Really similar to Christ. One of separation and wanting to bring it together. Now separate out Martin Luther King from the fact that he's a Christian, that he preached the Bible and followed Christ, and the message becomes one of fleeting hope because it's just done in the flesh. If it's left to just try harder, try harder to love those who are completely different than you, good luck. Two kids who look very similar and are in the same home and are doing the same little rock motion, they're fighting. So how about one that you can't even communicate with on any level and just try harder? I mean, how's that working? We're not doing good with this. That's not the message of oneness that Martin Luther King uh, preached, and it certainly isn't the one that Jesus preached. 
Paul introducing the formation of this new community kind of calls to mind a statement that I made right here to a couple that's sitting in the back row about a month ago. A month and two days ago, actually, I think it is. Is that right? They, they know. They're like, thumbs up. That's right, Dave. We know exactly how long. We know in minutes how long we've been married. And here it is. It's that I got to stand here and some vows were made before God. And the formation of a brand new family was formed right before our very eyes. It was miraculous. And I got to say this, and it was absolutely genuine. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. And in that moment, what's happening is this this miracle because of vows, because of God, is that this new family unit was formed. It wasn't at the signing of a state. The, the, The state didn't give us authority to do that. This covenant before God in God-designed, God-created marriage created this new thing. And Paul, in essence, says he's stating this new family relationship. It's a little bit like that. It's miraculous. And it falls on our ears a little bit as um, second nature because we've heard it so much. But it was miraculous and new. Thirdly is co-partners. Co-partners. Or co-partakers, some of your passage uh, says. ESV says, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, if the first one was talking about answering the mystery of possessions and why we always fight over limited resource and what's going to be the answer to that. And if the second one talks about uh, being co-members and really talking about belonging and our struggle to belong and how much fighting goes on, how much division and strife happens for that, this one really is answering Power for living. This is talking about um, the fact that we get to share in the same power for living. Let me walk walk, walk you through this. What is the promise being talked about here in verse 6? The promise of Jesus to his disciples was that after he left, the Holy Spirit would come. Sometimes he calls it the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ. Other times it's called the Holy Spirit. But that the Holy Spirit would come and would dwell in you. And would do at least two things. One is is that he would empower you to do all that God is asking you to do for the rest of your life. So that God's going to enable you and empower you to do all that he's asked you to do. It would be a cruel father to ask your son or your daughter to do something and, and know it's way beyond their reach. And then judge them and punish them for not doing it. Well, Jesus hasn't left us alone. In fact, remember what he said? We went through John. Isn't it better that Jesus goes away? So that the Holy Spirit can come? Well, how can that be? Well, because Jesus was physical. He was in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit is is spiritual. And so the temple now becomes Christ in you, the hope of glory. That means that everywhere a Christian goes, there's a church moving about. The, 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 The temple of God is moving about wherever you go. That's part of the mystery, as Colossians uh, puts it, as, as, as the Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not only does he empower us to do all that God wants us to do, but he also ensures us of our belonging. He ensures us that we're in, even when our hearts condemn us. There are those who will be outside that will point to you all the time. When I was um, a relatively new Christian a guy that I had grown up with my whole life. He had gone to church too, had many of the same credentials as I, but God had just done a work in my life. So my heart was, and my heart in prayer was for this, this friend of mine. 
God, would you do this? Would you give him the same gift with eyes to see your gospel that, that you gave to me? And we worked together, so we would commute back and forth to work, and he loved to do these kinds of jabs. If I said something or listened to a song or did whatever, he would ask this question. Hey, now would a real Christian do that? Is that what Jesus wants you doing? And see, he, he kind of knew enough of the church life to kind of knew these barbs. And what, what the Holy Spirit in my life used that as is a, is a growth point to say, man, he's absolutely right. And it was kind of this built-in accountability. He was meaning to kind of pull me down and to judge me. Are you sure you're in? Are you sure you're any better than I am? Don't get on a holy high horse and be... We're the same, man. We, we came from the same place. Now, he was misreading it all wrong, but, but he was offering these jabs. Some of you have internal uh, voices that say, are you really in? And you know what the Holy Spirit of God promises to do is to ensure us of our belonging. To ensure us, even when our own hearts condemn us, to ensure us that we belong to him. Everyone is looking for breakthrough power to live by, but Christ has provided all that we need by sending us His Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead resides in you. I mean, let your mind just settle on that. God, I'm not sure you can really handle this. I've got a really major bill coming up and I don't have enough money. God, I don't know that the doctors know how to, how to cure this thing. And if this happens, I may have numbness in my arm for the rest of my life. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Such that when we are limiting God, when we're saying, God, I wonder, and doubting God, what we're doing is, is, is we're sinning. We're missing the mark. And we need to just cleanse our mind from that and say, Jesus, help me even to, 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 to rest in that truth. Help me to rest in what you've promised us already. All that we need for life and godliness is how 2 Peter 1 puts it. Ephesians 1.13, just back a couple of chapters. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our, catch this word, inheritance. Back to the first of these three, joint heirs. What's the down payment of our inheritance that we really have all that we need and we don't need to strive and, and scrape for more? It's the Holy Spirit. All in Christ share the same power and have the same down payment or seal. Now, I've traveled to a few places, China, Australia, Mexico, and I haven't been to Namibia, but we've looked at a video clip. Here's the point of what I'm saying. Here's the point of what's being put out to us. The same power for living and the same seal of this promised inheritance resides in people in the African continent and in the Asian continent and north and south of our border and across your cubicle. That's why you can travel. Some of you have had the experience of going to other places in this world and you have this connection with a person that you go, man, this is so weird. There's no way I should be on the same page, as Jeff said, about what being in sync means. There's no way I should be on the same page with this person. Unless the same spirit dwells in him is the one that, that dwells in me. I have done ministry at camps that we should have been at total odds. And I've seen the camps start at the first week where there's a grinding of gears, a struggle for power, 
um, a pride in saying who's right and whose way is better. And to watch the Holy Spirit of God bring two completely different things and bring it onto the same page for the glory of Jesus being lifted up. And I tell you, it's miraculous. And it's edifying to me, and it builds my own faith to say, God, you're at work globally. That's what the Go Team's about, is to say that we are going to think globally as a church. Now, not only is he at work in all these different places, but he's also at work in Sunnyvale. He's at work in New Almaden. He's He's at work across the street from you. I regularly meet with pastor friends of mine and ministry-minded friends of mine from other churches. I got a text this morning that, that just was a texted prayer, praying for my ministry this morning as I'm preaching to you. This is a guy who's going to sit in a church in Sunnyvale this morning. Because like we talk about often here, we're, we're, the, we're the, the church of San Jose, right? We're not building up neighborhood Bible church, and we're not in competition with, with other churches. It's the same spirit. And so we're working together in these things. We're co-partners. We have the same power for living. In wrapping up, let me ask this. As co-heirs, as co-members, and co-partners, how are we now supposed to live? Last week, I kind of walked through um, Paul's identity, his mission, and his target. And I invite you to turn over to 2 Corinthians for a moment as we wrap up. And this was a passage that Ben preached from at the start of the year. And I found it compelling because I saw all these components right in this passage. Now, like the Gospel of Ephesians, which starts with our position in Christ, and after this chapter is going to move to all this practically, how does this work out? Only then is it going to talk about submitting to one another. Only then is it going to talk about walking in peace with one another. Only then is it going to talk about going to battle and putting on the full armor of God and being strong in the Lord and all these things that chapters 4 through 6 talk about. Only after conversion. The bottom of your handout this morning, I have this passage written down uh, and, and some, some markers next to it. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. In Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. It starts with conversion. It starts with knowing who you are. It starts with, with allowing the gospel to change you. It starts with being born again, as Jesus taught in John chapter 3. But it moves on to mission, catch this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling, rejoining the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. How does God, how does a holy God not count the trespasses of the world against them? How is it? It's what we're going to celebrate this morning. It's the cross, right? It's that Jesus willingly laid down his life in payment for sin so that you can clothe yourself in Christ and not have your sin counted against you. That's this ministry of reconciliation that we're passing on. Now catch this, he moves on. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal 
through us. Finally, is our target, verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Paul knew very clearly who his target was. It was Gentiles. He says at the start of chapter 3, For you Gentiles, I know why I'm here. God yanked me out of the absolute belly of Judaism and and had me be his spokesman to Gentiles because that's how God works. Paul knew his conversion or his identity. He knew his mission. He knew his target. My question for you is to you. Now, as the band comes up, in just a few moments, we're going to receive the communion elements. And in receiving the communion elements, I would ask you this. This isn't really a neighborhood Bible church's table. This is the Lord's table. And so while no one's going to be checking up on you, if you don't belong to Christ, if you're here seeking Christ out, if you're here uh, wondering what this is all about, I would just invite you to politely let the, let the plate pass. This is for those who, are, who belong to Jesus Christ and who by taking the bread and drinking the cup, will be proclaiming the Lord's death. And in the same way that food mysteriously becomes a part of us, these physical elements are going to call to mind this this joining of Jesus, the groom, and His bride, the church. Those who have entrusted themselves to Him. Band, come on up. This morning, we celebrate the breakthrough Christ made, first by coming to earth, which shatters this this impenetrable divide between the supernatural and the physical. That's what Jesus did. We just celebrate at Christmas time in the form of a little baby. That's breakthrough. God becoming created thing. That's breakthrough. But we also celebrate the second breakthrough, which is rising from the grave thereby paving the way for us to be born again, new creatures in Christ. That's looking back. The beauty of communion is that we also look forward to the future breakthrough that Christ will perform. Christ is coming again for His own, and He's going to be breaking through clouds, and we're going to be reunited with Him, and that's the hope that we look forward to. These are breakthrough kinds of truths to build your life on. Do not build your life on five tips on the front of a magazine. Please. It's hopeless. It will leave you frustrated. It will leave you angry. And you will take that out on those you love the most. Build your lives on the breakthrough that is Christ and the gospel. Jesus, we thank you so much for being our prophet, our priest, and our king. We thank you that you're the one who's gone before so that we can follow behind you. We thank you that you've made it crystal clear that all that is yours is ours. You've opened us up to full inheritance. We have a full right to sit at the table in a holy family because of your work on the cross. And just now, as these elements are passed, as we hold these in our hand, Would you let the truth of these sink into the parts that need grace the most? In Jesus' name, amen.